We are in this series now for just this month called The Posture of Praise. And this morning, I'm going to end up, hopefully, at the place of a bowed heart brings peace. The posture of praise we're looking at today is to be bowed in our hearts and then to experience peace as a result of that. You've probably heard of or seen the movie Chariots of Fire. And I really like that movie because of the incredible contrast of characters. There are two runners in the movie that are contrasted. And just like this parable, there are two people being contrasted. In, in one case, there is a Christian, a Scottish uh, missionary, uh, Eric Little, who is a runner and he's very fast. And then there is a, a Jewish man who's also his teammate named Harold uh, Abrams. And he's very fast as well. And they're going to compete in the 1924 Olympics. And the movie shows the difference between uh, Eric, who is at peace with God and walks with a, with a healthy ability to compete but doesn't let his identity get tied up in that. He's always putting the Lord first, even when he's competing. And the other man, Harold Abrams, is, is his entire identity is wrapped up in his race. But he comes to a moment of clarity where he realizes that running can't possibly justify his existence. And it's an hour before his final in the Olympics. And he's going to run, I think it's the 100-yard uh, sprint. And he's laying on the table as his trainer's working his muscles and getting them ready. And his buddy's sitting there. And he has this kind of very introspective monologue. And he says this. He says, I am forever in pursuit. And I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. Old chap, I'm scared. Sam, the trainer, and I have labored around and bullied for this day, day in and day out, out in all weathers, maddening. And for what? In one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? I've known the fear of losing, but now I'm almost too frightened to win. And this is how he goes into his event. And with that understanding, he realizes, I can't win either way. If I don't finish first and get the gold, then I'm still a loser and I haven't won. But if I do get the gold, what does that even mean? That medal's not going to mean much. It doesn't justify my existence. It just meant I'm a little faster than the other guy or I trained harder. But that's not enough. It's not enough for anyone. We need more than that. And whether it's competing in an Olympic race or competing with your spouse or a friend or a coworker or whatever it is, we need, we deeply need to have a sense of being approved. Now, Jesus tells this parable and he tells us, Luke tells us why he tells it. On the front end, it says he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And that word doesn't really do much for us. I mean, I, I can think back to like the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off and the assistant principal called Ferris a righteous dude using kind of surfer language or maybe you could think of the righteous brothers, but nobody's calling a music group righteous anything anymore. And if you hear that word, if someone says, yeah, he's really righteous, it's a slur and it really means he's proud and stuck up and self-righteous. So we don't think about the word righteous as something that we would want to use to have as a reference to us. But there are other words, though, that we, that we might be um, more, I guess, open to. Let's, let's say words like approved or self-esteem or successful. 
Successful is a very complimentary word. Oh, he's very successful. Usually that means in business or wealth or whatever it might be. And we want to have these things, and it's not wrong to want to be successful, but the question is, what is successful? What would justify an existence? What does approval even look like? When we get some in this life, some approval, we win something or someone says, that was great, you you are really good at that. It feels good for a little while, but it wears off. And even if it's in what I would consider the best situation, let's take a marriage. Let's take an ideal marriage. I did a wedding last weekend, and um, I was talking about the, the, the glory of when two people selflessly love one another. What a great picture that is. And to have someone say to you, I love you for you, despite your brokenness, whatever, it really does build us up, but it's not enough. Anyone who's in a marriage like that can say, it's really good, but I still need more. And the reason we need more is because unless that kind of approval comes from the very source of our existence, it's not comprehensive enough to give us a deep-seated peace. We need to hear from God who made us, I love you, you are approved. We need him to declare us righteous or to justify us. Anything less than that will come up short. The result is that we'll have peace with God, we'll have an inner peace, and we'll be able to suffer places where we aren't approved, where we're rejected, or when, when we're looking for approval in a situation and it comes up short. Because God has approved us, we can deal with anything. And that's really what we need. Now, in this parable, Jesus tells us two ways to go about being justified, being approved, being successful, I'll say. One, how to do it, and one, definitely how not to do it. And he gives us this contrast of characters. So let's start with the Pharisee in in verse 10. He says in the parable, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So Jesus, the master teacher, sets up an incredible contrast. The Pharisee was the height of religion. These were the guys that looked the part. I'm the Pharisee in the parable. I've got the right clothes. I'm up front. Look at my long phylacteries. I'm, you know, it'd be so easy to, to put that. And then, and then the tax collector is the notorious sinner. And, and even to be in that pro- profession brought, had shame with it. So we've got this co- contrast of characters here. And it starts off with a posture. Where is this man praying? It says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed this way. Or in the Greek, it actually says, standing to himself. The preposition is kind of weird there as I was looking at it. And it's almost like he's stepped over here, he's distinguished himself, but then he's distinguished himself for himself. And he's saying, look at me. I'm, aren't, aren't, aren't I great? And he's set himself up like that. And then he says, God, I thank you that I, if your prayer should start that way, whatever comes next, if it does not actually point to something God has done, you are praying, God, you should thank me. That's actually how it's coming out. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Now you could pray, God, I thank you that I have received your mercy. God, I thank you that I am in this church. I thank you, God, that I have experienced your blessings and your grace. See, I'd be giving credit to God with prayers like that. But what this man does, he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And he describes some things that he is not doing. I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner, greedy. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer or even like this tax collector. And at this point, he just simply singles out someone and says, I'm better than that person. He sets up the comparison. God, I thank you that I'm better than that one. 
I got home from the, um, from the wedding Saturday night, um, kind of late, and hanging on my front door was a medal. Nice white, you know, ribbon, bronze medal. And earlier that morning, I had competed in a rowing event. I hadn't been in a rowing, like a, like a crew event. I hadn't been in one of those in 19 years, literally. And some neighbors, a neighbor talked me into it. They needed a fourth person to fill this boat out. And, you know, my... My approach to this race was, don't break the equipment that Jacksonville University is loaning to us, don't pass out or throw up, and just make it to the finish line. Those were my goals, so that I would get a workout in and not embarrass myself. Even not embarrassing myself was concerned for what other people would think. And those guys in my boat were thinking, we want to finish the race, and we also want to not be last. So the whole time, the whole time, they're thinking, we've got to pass another boat. We've got to pass another boat. And we did pass a boat, but it was, it was a boat of high school kids that were having a communication breakdown, and they weren't moving very fast at all. <laughs> and so when we passed them, I thought, That's not, they're not even in our event. We need to pass a master's boat if you want this medal. Well, it turns out there were only four boats in the race, so we didn't have to do very well. And when you look at the numbers, our performance was pitiful. But when there's only four boats and you aren't the last one, you get a medal. So I came home thinking, a medal? And I hung it up in my garage where it will rust and promptly be thrown away. I mean, there's just... But see, that's about competition. I wanted to be, we wanted to be better than the other boat. I, even, it, it wasn't enough to be last. Just not, not the last one. And, and anytime you get into that situation, you're thinking about self-justification. Am I still good enough? Do I still have it? Am I strong enough? It's so easy to like... To, to really want other people to say, yeah, good job. You guys are fast. You might be old dudes, but you still got it. And there's this inner sense of needing to be approved, needing to be approved from people. Now, this man who stands up and makes his prayer is so preoccupied with himself that he doesn't actually ask anything. He never prays. He just simply says, God, I thank you. And then he says what he is. And he, he finishes by saying, I fast twice a week which, by the way, was not required by the law. There's no specific amount. So he's saying, I fast even more than I have to. I've done even better than the minimum. I give a tithe of all that I get. And that's where his prayer ends. He doesn't ask God for anything. That's, that's the not how to do it example. Now, um, and before I go on, Pharisees were coming to Jesus. And if they were so confident that they were justified, why were they so perturbed by him? They kept coming near him because they were threatened by his success, by the popularity with the crowds, by the favor of God for him to do miracles. They were looking for God's approval too, but they didn't know how to go about it. And so they kept being perturbed by Jesus and kept being drawn to him. And I think it's because God was stirring up in them the need, the need for his justification, for him to say, you're approved. And just like uh, Harold Abrams in that example from Chariots of Fire, he came to the conclusion that uh, this isn't going to do it for me. There's got to be something else. And that's what we need to do. We need to come to the place where God, who is just, is our justifier. He's the one who does it for us. So now, the posture of praise that is a bowed heart. Let's look at the tax collector, the second person in this, in this parable. So the tax collector is very different. Again, it starts off with a posture. Where is he standing? He, it says uh, in verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off. So when the tax collector comes to church, he's afraid to come through those glass doors. He doesn't even feel worthy to be in the house of God because he knows he's a sinner. 
And so he stops there, and he won't look up, and, he, and then he prays out there for mercy. He is aware of that, and so he bows his eyes, and he, and he beats on his breast because he is ashamed because he knows he's at fault, and he's praying for God to be merciful. Now, look at the, look at the prayer. Um, I, I, I don't like to throw Greek words out, and I'm not trying to look smart. I had to use all the tools to do this to figure it out. But in the Greek, there are two things that are really different here. One is it has the definite article with it. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And it would be fair to make it a sinner, but I think it, the is important. He is calling direct attention to himself. I am the sinner. It's safer. There's safety in numbers. If, if I say, God, have mercy on us, and I put us all kind of together, we're all sinners. That, that takes some of the pressure off of me to be culpable for my sins. It's kind of now us. But he says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I think about King David, Psalm 51. Against you and you only have I sinned. Although he did murder Uriah and commit adultery with Bathsheba, which were sins against them, but ultimately he saw it as a sin against God. It's in God's eyes that he has sinned. David also picked up the idea of me, the sinner. Not just a sinner, the sinner. Or I think about Acts chapter 9, when Paul is on the road to Damascus and Jesus visits him, and he doesn't even know who Jesus is, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, Jesus, and, and Saul goes, who are you? Because he, all, he, he hears God's voice, but he doesn't know him yet. And he says, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. Well, what was Saul doing? He was, he was attacking the early church and putting Christians into prison and approving their, their execution. How was he uh, uh, persecuting Jesus? Well, Jesus ultimately is the one who was being wounded by that. Those sins are against God. God, against you have I sinned. Be merciful to me, the sinner. He's not trying to diffuse blame at all. He's taking personal responsibility. His attitude is one of, I have a problem, not we have a problem. I have a problem. And then the other thing that's really peculiar about this is be, the, the request for God's mercy is very common. The, you've probably heard the, the words kiri eleison. It means Lord have mercy. And the verb eleison is mostly the common verb when you see have mercy. But here it's a different one. It's halaskomai, which is specific. It's propitiation. God atone for my sins. Whereas the other one, eleison, is compassion for my situation. Have pity on me, Lord, in my difficulty. Look down at what my sin has caused and I'm hurting. Have mercy. God's mercies are new every day. He, he is constantly looking, because he is compassionate, he's looking at our lives and he is alleviating the difficulties of sin and the consequences of sin. But this prayer is more foundational, more fundamental. God, make propitiation for my sin. The same word is used in Hebrews 2 when it says this of Jesus. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The sin problem, it wasn't just about the consequences of sin. The very root had to be dealt with. And that's where we see the significance of the cross. Jesus has gone to the cross for us. And in this parable, he's pointing ahead to that even though chronologically it hadn't happened yet, but as we read it, we know it's happened. And what we understand is that our sin was dealt for on the cross and that God is just. 
And he's going to deal with sin as a holy God. But he's also the justifier in that he sends his son to go and justify us by taking our penalty. Or as Paul put it, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is how God justifies the sinner. God is the one who does it, not the sinner. So the Pharisee going up there and explaining his external acts or even his internal moral fortitude, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not an extortioner, and I fast and I tithe, he's describing works that he has done which are not deep enough to deal with the issue. So he goes home not justified, not seen as righteous, whereas the other man goes home feeling a sense of being justified. Now, if you understand this truth, it's revolutionary for you. One, you don't stop at the door anymore. You walk right into God's house, you approach his table boldly, and you say, thank you. I thank you, God, that you have justified me. I thank you, God, that you have paid for my sins. I thank you, God, that you have made me worthy to stand before you. He gets all of the praise for it. We get the peace of knowing we belong, and then we don't have to worry about the approval of others. If God is for you, who cares who's against you? You've got eternal approval. And it comes from having the posture of praise of a bowed heart. I never think I deserve anything. I am here by God's grace. He has done that. And so I come in and worship him joyfully and boldly, but very much aware that I earned it not at all, zero. Nothing was my contribution. I simply am the recipient of grace. That is such good news. Now, going forward, what do we do with this? Well, I would encourage you to do a little bit of self-reflection. How is your need for approval? In what ways does it come out? It still creeps into my life at times, where I find myself trying to pass the other boat. I really do want a medal. I, you know, that, it creeps in. Why do I need that? Am I striving for something, or am I satisfied with God says that, God says, I love you, I've forgiven you, you're accepted. So be mindful of that and do some of the work to pay attention. Another thing is, be careful with your good deeds. Do good deeds. I mean, we're, com- we're commanded to do good deeds in response to his grace. But if the good deeds start to get in front of the grace where we start to feel like, I'm, I'm worthy, I'm, I'm comparing myself to others, I'm better than so-and-so because I'm helping people, or I'm doing this, God, for you, therefore you should do something for me, be careful. We are, it's a slippery slope. And then finally, know God's approval. Just know his approval. He tells us here a real promise. He's saying, this man went to his house justified. And then he says, God will exalt whoever humbles himself. But the person who tries to exalt himself will be humbled. This Pharisee was humbled. He went home having not prayed and not been justified. But the great promise of scripture is that through bowing our hearts and repenting and confessing our sin and taking ownership for it, instead of God judging us for it, he judges his son and he forgives us. It's the great exchange and it's an incredible gift. It is, in fact, good news. The posture of praise is to have a bowed heart. It's not about an external bowing. It's an internal bowing, a posture of praise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this great exchange. I thank you that you are so merciful to us in sending your son. I thank you for the cross. Lord, I ask for self-awareness for myself and others as we look for approval in places other than from you. Help us, Lord, to feel your joy this morning. We thank you for your love. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.